Martin. Happy New Year. You can say Happy New Year. Not a joke. There you go. Um, as we start uh, Advent season, today being the first Sunday of Advent, uh, I put together some Advent reading, one for each day up until Christmas. So found a little booklet. that up out here on the side table as you uh, leave the sanctuary. Just brief readings to reflect uh, on the various aspects in which God has made promises to us about our needs and then applies those promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me uh, take one of those. As the first Sunday in Advent, uh, we're beginning an Advent series. Uh, Next four Sundays, we are going to undertake a series that I have named, or that I have called, What Shall We Name? We all know that. Little story. I uh, I had a name picked out for my first child. His name was Ethan Scott. We were sitting around a campfire, and somebody said, well, what if it's a girl? And I looked at them, and I said, it's not going to be a girl. <laughs> you know, the doctor says, well, it looks kind of like a boy. This was before ultrasounds, right? Before we, before we knew for sure, like months and months ahead of time. I said, no, it's going to be a boy. Ethan Scott, stuck in our minds just for years prior to that and right up until the night at that campfire. And uh, the woman sitting at the campfire said, well, don't you think you ought to have a girl's name picked out? I, I don't know. It's going to be a boy. Why do I need a girl's name? Well, what you, you should, it's not going to hurt you. Just pick out a girl's name. Okay. So I couldn't think of anything. They said, what about Sarah? I like Sarah. Sarah's a good name. Well, what would her middle name be? I said, how about Sarah Lee? (laughs) Are you joking? Are you joking? Do you really want her to be called Sarah Lee her whole life? Doesn't that sound a little sicky sweet to you? (laughs) I don't know what. How about Sarah Beth? Yeah, Sarah Beth sounds fine. But you know it's going to be a boy. It's going to be Ethan Scott. Believe it or not, a week later, Sarah Beth was born. <laughs> and I'm sure glad I had a girl's name. <laughs> I, love the, I love the name because her name actually means princess of the house, which is what she is. She really is. Of course, my wife is the queen, so we need to keep all these things clear, right? But she is princess of the house. But what's in a name? Have you ever given a thought to your name? Why were you named what you are, and what does your name mean? Sometimes, well, there's all kinds of reasons why names are given, right? Sometimes names are given because it's a family tradition, and there are certain names that just have to be carried on. Um. There are sometimes a kind of musical appeal to a name. So the name is selected because of that musical appeal. <clears throat> sometimes names are simply made up. A couple of months ago, I met somebody who, whose parents had taken part of a name here and part of a name here and put them together and said, here, this is your name. 
You know, that's what they named this person. And it doesn't have any connection to anybody, doesn't have any connection to any region, doesn't have any connection to anything. It's just a made-up name because they wanted something unique for that person. Um, sometimes names are given for a purpose. Maybe to honor a family member or uh, to preserve a family name. So many of us can probably trace the origins of our name in a family history or uh, to a favorite family member. I am named after my father, who is named after his father, who I might have been named after his father, but we're not sure because there was some immigration and the names were changed, so we're not clear on that one. And I was going to name my son after me. My wife said, no, we're not doing that. So we named him Michael Scott. He was number two, by the way. <clears throat> in the biblical world, uh, well, there's a lot of people who use biblical names for their children for various reasons. Um, and sometimes, you know, Jewish names are given to Gentiles, and some we, we wonder, how does that really work out? In the biblical world, names were intended to mean things. They were not given randomly, whether they were personal proper names or place names or names of objects. For example, in Charles Dickens' story, uh, a Christmas story, Ebenezer Scrooge, name Ebenezer. Ebenezer is named after a rock. You know that, right? That when Samuel was leading the people as a judge, they got to this place on the mountain and he he saw that, that this is where God had protected them and blessed them. And so he rose up this rock and he stuck it in the top of the hill and he said, we're going to call this rock Ebenezer because Ebenezer means by thy aid, meaning that they had gotten to that point by, thy, by God's aid. For this Advent in preparation for Christmas, we're going to be looking at the names given to this baby at his conception. We name our babies after they're born, typically. We're going to look look at the names given to this baby at his conception. Names given by an angel from heaven. And I'm hoping that as we do that, we can gain greater and greater encouragement as to the loveliness of our God as he comes to rescue us as he comes to redeem us. I'm in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And we'll be looking, I'll be reading to you verses 26 through uh, 33. And we will only be looking at one verse this morning. It will be verse 31. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, And just tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Thus far, this is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we hear this account year by year, and it is such a wondrous thing. It's such a wondrous intrusion of your presence and your grace into our world. It's not just a vision of an angel. It's the appearance of the angel And it is the thing that had been promised through the ages, which is now coming to pass by your mighty power. We pray that you would open this passage to us, that we may understand, but that we may thrill at the fulfillment of your promises to us. Help us to hear and to believe. And Lord, help us to rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One verse this morning, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It's interesting. We almost don't hear this because we hear our Lord's name all the time. It's, It's common parlance among us, and what happens is the more we use it, the more we tend to reduce it to its mere sounds and not really consider its actual content, its actual, its actual meaning, and what God is intending in it for us. And so that's really my desire this morning. I would like us to hear his name again and afresh. It's the most common name by which we refer to him, and we become somewhat desensitized to it. And I need to tell you, of all the names in humanity which is most abused, it is this name, this glorious name, this majestic name of a Lord and Savior, God come to us in the flesh. Humanity abuses this name because nobody in a movie ever puts in the mouths of an actor, oh, Buddha. Nobody in a movie ever puts in the mouths of an actor, oh, Mohammed. It's this name because this name is glorious, majestic, filled with grace. And I'm hoping to pull that out this morning. It's interesting because it's not even a name that Mary decided on for her child. This was a name given by an angel. And angels don't do anything on their own. We are told in Hebrews that they are ministering spirits sent to those who will be the heirs of grace. Angels do what they are bidden to do. Which means then that the angel was told, go to Mary, tell her this, and this is the name you're going to give her. Plain and simple. 
Now, earlier when Zechariah was told that he was going to have a son and they were going to name him John, Zechariah's question was, really? How do I know? Bad move. But Mary was told, you're going to conceive and you'll call his name Jesus. We can certainly agree with the hymn writer who says, his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. Naming is a really important thing in the Bible. Names are given in order to speak about something in that person that will be accomplished or something in that person which will become obvious or something about what that person is going to do. Names are not arbitrarily given. And so in this case, we have to really look into the name of Jesus. What does the name Jesus actually mean? Why are we told this? What should we, what should we hold on to? Which is really, there's nothing to do with this except to rejoice, to hold on to it, to worship, to adore, to try and protect this name in our own thought and in our conversations and everything else. <clears throat> we should know that the name Jesus... The Greek form is Jesus. The Hebrew connection is Yeshua, which is the name of Joshua or Yehoashua. And it means salvation is of Yah. That is, salvation is of Yahweh, Jehovah's salvation. Immediately what comes to mind, if we really think about it, and I, I, you know, probably it comes to your mind readily, and that is, if it's the name Joshua, first thing that comes to thought is Joshua, the commander of the Lord's armies, as they began the conquest of the Holy Land, right? Because he is the most prominent example. He is the most prominent um, person who carries that name in history. So the next question then is, how was Joshua the Lord's salvation? Because as we look at Joshua, we've got to be able to see something in him that uh, tells us something of who this Yeshua is going to be. Well, there's several things that we can refer to uh, as we look in the book of Joshua, uh, and that is this. He, he was the successor of Moses, selected by Moses for his faithfulness and for his, uh, for his willingness to step up into leadership. Now think about this. The giver of the law, Moses, selected a faithful successor who would lead his people under that law. Sound like anything that might be helpful for us? The giver of the law, our living God, has selected a leader for his redeemed people that we might live under the law. So there's something there that starts to resonate and starts to connect. Joshua was Moses' lieutenant. He was submitted to the Lord, especially as they went into the, into the Holy Land. 
uh, as Joshua moved forward into the Holy Land, he did it underneath the direction of God by his Holy Spirit. And so there were various areas of conquest that were undertaken in the name and for the sake of the living God. He was a leader submitted to God because he, took on, he, he sought the Lord's strength and encouragement as he went into battle. He brought back the first report that the land was good. He was seen in the firmness of action he had to take toward Achan at the city of Ai after Achan had sinned and brought disrepute upon the people of Israel and thus sin against the Lord. He was merciful, especially when you saw his interactions with the Gibeonites as they deceived him. And he was unrelenting in his judgment against the enemies of God because God told him to be unrelenting in his judgment. What does this tell us about this person, this character, this this personality that becomes now a model and an emblem of this new Yeshua? The first one is this. He crushes the heads of his enemies. Thanks be to God. God sends somebody to crush the heads of your enemies. What that means is your world is swirling with demons that would love to pull you down and destroy you. Enemies that you cannot see. Enemies that would seek to undermine you and consume you. But you have someone who defeats those enemies. A new Joshua, a holy Joshua. Joshua in the Old Testament brought the people into their covenantal inheritance because God promised them the land. God said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And more than 400 years later, that's exactly what God was doing through this Old Testament Yeshua. He was giving them the covenantal land. He was bringing the people into their inheritance. And that's what God does with us through this new Jesus who comes and is living among us. He brings us into our inheritance. He conquers the land so that they can dwell in it. So it is a salvation that brings a people, that brings them from their homelessness to having a homeland, a homeland of promise. That's what Joshua accomplished for the people of God, which was actually a fulfillment of the Genesis promise. The Genesis promise in chapter 3, when man had first sinned against the Lord, That gift of defeating enemies and bringing a people into a homeland has its roots in this statement that God says to the serpent on the day in which Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and plunged us into ruin and darkness. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, And on your belly you shall go, 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right here is the seed kernel of the promise to Abraham of Joshua's mighty conquest. But it's a promise that bears much more than a word of encouraging encouragement to Abraham and a call for courage to Joshua, the son of Nun. Contained in this seed is God's intention to defeat the enemy that was active at the deception of our first parents. They were removed from their original homeland by virtue of their rebellion. And this promised seed of the woman would bring them back into a promised homeland where God dwells. It's God's intention to restore their lost righteousness to restore their lost possession of the Spirit, to restore their standing before their Creator, which means the removal of sin and guilt. It was right there at the beginning. It was right there all along, before the foundation of the world, determined by God in divine counsels, that sovereignly He would bring about a redemption that would pull His people out of darkness and ruin and bring them into an estate of salvation where they rest in him and stand before him in great joy. That's your salvation. And the more we let Advent become some sort of an annual routine and it simply becomes something cold and sort of rote, it's a constant piece-by-piece reminder that you're being brought into a homeland where there is blessing. There's actually a second Joshua in Scripture. Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. We hardly ever talk about him, but he was real. He was there. He was high priest during the early days when the exiles returned to Judah from being in Persia, resettling in Jerusalem and trying to rebuild the temple through all of its struggle and all of its poverty and whatever else that they were doing. They were underneath the leadership of this other Joshua, And in Zechariah 6, we hear these words. The word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles of Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and he shall sit and rule on his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Right there is the promise of a priest who would rule over the people with with truth, with grace, 
building the temple of the Lord, branching out away from even Jerusalem into the greater parts of the earth. This second Joshua is the high priest who lives in Jerusalem after the exile and builds the Lord's temple. So what is the meaning of the name for this baby? The reason the name is given is seen in the angel's explanation to Joseph. When he finds out his fiancée is pregnant, and what is he going to do about it? So the angel comes to him and says, Take her as your wife, for that which is in her is from the Lord God. But it says in Matthew 1, 20 through 21, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If we are watching a movie and we are hearing the abuse of the name of Jesus Christ, everything inside of us should cry. It should weep. It should grieve. Because if there's one name under heaven which will save people from their sins, it's that one. Why would we so denigrate it? Why should we so countenance it when it's denigrated like that? Now, let me draw something out from Matthew, from the pronouncement in Matthew. We are more likely to hear this say that this Jesus will save me from my sins. We'll hear it individually. We will hear it as for ourselves. He will save me from my sins. But listen to the word again. He will save his people from their sins. You're not an island. In your salvation, you never were an island. We are redeemed as a people. If there's one thing that causes us to stand against the current culture, it's because we are connected to one another and we are redeemed as a people. And there's more of us out there. That's, that's the thing. More to be added to the community. More to be added to the number. But we are redeemed as a people. He will save his people from their sins. <clears throat> now what I would do is I would draw your attention that uh, when we have this statement, you know, you shall, you shall um, call him Jesus, that name Yeshua then is, is a name filled with grace. It's a name that says, you've offended me, rejected me, dissed me, ignored me, rebelled against me, and frankly, you get what you deserve. You, get the, you deserve the disdain of your neighbors. You deserve the Ill, your illnesses and diseases. You deserve things going wrong. You deserve alienation and estrangement. You deserve all the broken outcomes of, the, of your rebellion and sin, all the broken outcomes the universe can throw at you, but I place my love on you, and I'm going to rescue you. And it's not going to be some impersonal rescue. 
something that, you know, well, I'll do it because I have to. My love for you is going to be manifest in this. Your people shall be my people. My God shall be your God. You have to hear the voice of Ruth saying that to Naomi in the Old Testament. It's a saving purpose. Just his very name is a saving purpose. And so when we say, what shall we name the baby? The answer is, name him Jesus. Salvation is of the Lord. Name him Jesus because he's taken my soul out of the fire like a brand out of the fire and plucked me up and he has taken me to himself. He's taken me as a ruined, lost, orphan, wandering in the world and he's given me a home and a place. He's given us a home and a place. God the Savior is the one who said, build the ark because I'm the ark. The birth of Isaac, the child of promise, I'm the child of promise. He says in this word, Yeshua, the release from Egypt, the deliverance from oppressors, the restoration from loss is in the life of Boaz. All of these things are Christ declaring to us again and again, I'll take you to myself, I'll redeem you, I'll give you back more than you lost. And the only way he can do that is by becoming one of our people, the kinsman redeemer, the one who bears our flesh and bears our bone and will pour out his blood for us. The kinsman redeemer, the one who is so close to us he understands our humanity, the one who bears our humanity, who's lived in our humanity and knows it. No wonder why the Lord says in Isaiah, I'm the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I am the Lord, he says, and besides me, there is no Savior. God makes it abundantly clear throughout the Old Testament he's the Savior, and he brings us to a people of his own. Listen to this in Isaiah 63. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he has said, Surely they are my people. And he became their Savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up. He carried them all the days of old. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Yeshua, salvations of the Lord. Jesus, my Lord. His name is wonderful. As we enter into the Advent season and we consider what shall we name the baby, may this be the first name. His name's Jesus. Because he saves his people from their sins. 
And if that's not the light of the world, the world has no light. He will give us back a homeland. He'll make us a people, a community. He redeems us from our sinful estate. His name is wonderful. Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray.